You remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? One of the most well-known phrases from that movie comes towards the very end, where Dorothy's repeating over and over again, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. For all of us, home is just a meaningful word, isn't it? You know, we want to be home, we want to be in a place that's safe, secure. We want to be with those who love us and care about us. For some of us, that's not been the experience, but we still have this longing for it, I think. And when we don't experience that in the way that we believe it's meant to be, it's hard and it's difficult, it's painful. And we've been watching and hearing the news of, as I said before, and as we heard with the update with Randy Stanton, that there are just millions of people in the Ukraine right now who have lost home. And even if you are in your home, your house, you can feel not at home there, can't you? There can be moments where it doesn't feel like this is a safe place, where this is a place where you can be yourself, safe. There's this sense of alienation that we can experience in our world today. But there's a longing for home. And as we've been going through this series, we're now on our second week, we are exploring some of the ways to understand the cross and what Jesus is up to when he dies. We call that the atonement, how Jesus is making things one, at one with each other. Things that are broken, things that are disparate, becoming repaired. And one of the ways that we can understand what Jesus is up to, what Jesus is doing at the cross, is through um, the language of home or exile. And I want to begin to explore that today, because it's this universal sense deep within us for home that is part of the greater story of what God is up to in the world. So let me give you just a bigger picture of something uh, I showed you last week if you were here. Um, This is the biggest sort of zoomed out view of what the story of the Bible tells us. It tells us that the world was created for good, but that it has been damaged by evil and that touches every aspect of our experience here in the world. But ultimately, that God is in the business of making all things new or creating a new creation. We're told that the reason that the world is damaged by evil hinges on human choice. We're also told that the way that the world breaks free from that power of evil, or we could say sin, is through the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, that leads us into new creation. And the way that we can understand the story of Jesus can be told in many different ways at many different times, and that's appropriate because it's so vast and it reaches into every aspect of creation and the human experience that it can be told in so many different ways because each of us has our own story. And so it's appropriate that somehow God would try to tell the story in so many different ways to us so that we could hear it wherever we are at. And the way that we're going to explore today is the language of exile, the language of home. What Jesus was up to at the cross was bringing us home. Now, in the very beginning pages of the Bible, God creates a beautiful home for all of humanity, for all the world. It's a paradise. It's Eden. And in creating that home, there is only one condition for them Uh, human beings to remain in that home, and that's that they do things his way. They uh, acknowledge his rules and what he has set before them to do or to not do, in this case, to eat from a tree. And human beings make the choice to do their own thing. 
And as the story unfolds, that has consequences for everyone and everything after. Let's look now at a passage from Exodus or Genesis 3, uh, verses 7 and 9, and also 23. So that moment when they first eat the fruit from the tree that they were told not to. Adam and Eve, it says, at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And then as the story continues, the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. When human beings break the ways of God, dishonor those, and go their own way, do their own thing, it results in shame. It results in a feeling of lostness. It results in a feeling of exclusion and exile, alienation from home. Nothing feels quite right anymore. And what the Bible is telling us here is now this is a sense and an experience that we all share throughout time and history ever since that moment. And it's the continued condition that we find ourselves in now. There's a sense of shame, lostness, and exile that comes from choosing to do things our way instead of God's way. Whether we know that or not, that's where we find ourselves. Let's continue on now, and uh, here we are in Exodus. We've skipped forward through many, many generations. And God has been gathering his people together, and what he makes a promise to Abraham is he says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a place, I'm going to give you a home, where you and your people for generations to come can live in, in flourishing and in beauty and wonder. And that promise takes some time to be fulfilled, and there is a drought. His descendants end up living in Egypt, where they find food, but then over time they become enslaved to the Egyptian people who are worried that they will take over. And in the midst of that slavery, there is incredible suffering. And God begins to raise up one who would deliver them, Moses. And this is the beginning of his interaction with Moses. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. In this first primal uh, experience of salvation in the most significant way for God's people. The story of the Exodus, the rescue from slavery, the, the promise to deliver into a land that is their own. God is saying, I am becoming personally involved. I am coming down to make this right. And I'm going to give you a home. The place where you now live doesn't feel like home. It feels like oppression. It feels like slavery. And it's brutal. It's not the way it was supposed to be. But I will give you a home. I'll personally see to it. And so salvation for the people of God, right from the beginnings of the story, is about God bringing them home when they are in exile. 
And as the story unfolds, God rescues them, demonstrating his incredible power over the Egyptians and over their so-called gods. And God is rescuing them. And God is teaching them about what it means to live in relationship with him again. Right from the beginning, it has always been about living in right relationship with God, doing things God's way rather than our own way. And God is saying, I'm going to bring you into your new home, into this new promised land. And when you get there, there's only one condition. You've got to make me the priority. You've got to make me first. You've got to do things my way. And he's teaching them how to do that, how to live in the right relationship with him. Look at these next verses here. In Deuteronomy, they are anticipating entering into that promised land. They are anticipating coming home. And here is this message that the people of God hear. Now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Salvation for the people of God is framed in the language of coming home, and yet they will only be able to continue to experience that if they do things God's way. It continues on. There's another warning uh, in Leviticus. Leviticus 18, 28-30. Do not defile the land and give it a reason to vomit you out. What a graphic image. Don't don't give the land a reason to vomit you out. As it will vomit out the people who live there now. Remember, this is really the story we've been hearing in Judges. How the people people come and they, they, they drive out the people, the evil people of Canaan. And so those people are being vomited out in this language. And God's warning them, if you don't follow me, you also will be vomited out. Whoever commits any of these detestable sins will be cut off from the community of Israel. That's the language of exile and exclusion. So obey my instructions. Do not defile yourselves by committing any of these detestable practices that were committed by the people who lived in the land before you. I am the Lord your God. So the language is one of coming home from exile, knowing God's presence by doing things God's way so that you can experience that home forever continues on. Let's go to the next slide. Here, Nehemiah. And what we see now is the people have entered the promised land, but as we read through Judges, things just got worse and worse and worse to the point that they were doing things their own way, and eventually God brought judgment on them, and they were vomited out into exile. They were captured, and they were taken away to Babylon. And as they are now returning Nehemiah the prophet is sharing about the return from exile. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. 
And so God has always had this warning that if we don't do things his way, we don't listen to his commands, decrees, regulations, we do things the way that we want to rather than God's way, then we'll be vomited out and we'll be in exile. But also the promise after that warning that if we turn back, we return to God, we obey his commands, live by them, then we can be brought home. And we don't have to live in exile, separated from God, separated from his people. And the exile was one of the most defining moments, apart from the act of salvation and rescue in Exodus, for the people of God, and it haunted them. Many of them never returned. Many of them never made it home. But for the ones that did, it was a beautiful thing to come back to that place, to know God's blessing, to experience God's goodness. Well, let's go on to the next slide here. I want to show you how the New Testament begins in the Gospel of John. What we've seen here and what we learned through Judges, when you went through that with us together, what we saw in Judges what, is that people have this tendency to drift towards evil and sin, doing things our own way rather than God's way. And we just keep going down those paths over and over again, and they lead us away from God, they lead us away from life, they lead us away from home. And so this is a problem that dominates the human experience throughout the world. It has since the beginning. And the bigger problem that began with Adam and Eve is still one that has never been rectified. And yes, God has brought a group of people out of slavery into a promised land. He's brought them home. And yes, after they sinned, he, and he took them from exile, brought them back home again. But the bigger problem that inv invades and pollutes the entire world, the problem of sin still exists. And it tempts us and it draws us away. And so God has to finally deal with this. We are still in exile, all of us, in this moment. And so how does God deal with that grand problem within all of the world? Just like in Exodus when he speaks to Moses and says, I have come down, I'm coming down to bring rescue. I'm becoming personally involved. We hear that kind of language in Jesus. And in John chapter 1, it says, The Word became human and made his home among us. We can't find our way back to God on our own. We just can't. We're too bent and broken. Yes, we are beautiful. But we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so, God comes to us. God comes to us while we're still a long way off. God comes to us in the person of Jesus. and He brings home to us. The Word became human, made His home amongst us. But there was this other, other couple of verses in John chapter 1. He came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, and even they rejected Him. The story of Jesus' life as He comes as a human being to bring home back to us, to bring us back together with God, is that He was rejected too. He was exiled. He was excluded. And throughout the story of Jesus' life, we see again and again how Jesus experiences that rejection. He experiences that separation, that distance. How he's excluded. 
We see in the very first days of his life where he and his family become refugees and flee to Egypt of all places because his life is threatened. We see how he was rejected as he came back into ministry, how he was rejected and again and again by his own hometown, by his own people who didn't believe he was who he said he was. We see him even ultimately go towards the cross where he's killed, where his life is taken from him. Outside the city, he's cast off, thrown aside. He enters into that rejection, that exile, that separation bring us home. Let's look at these next verses here. Matthew 4, 17. As Jesus is just beginning his ministry, we see what he is coming to do. It says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' main message that he repeated over and over again could be summed up and boiled down to one Sentence here. Repent of your sins. Stop doing things your way and turn back to doing things God's way. Stop doing things your way. Stop sinning. Stop doing the things that are wrong. Turn back to God. Turn back to the way of life. For the kingdom of heaven is near. I've told you before, I think the simplest way to understand kingdom is It's the place where God is present and life is lived God's way. That sounds like we could use the language of home. God is present and life is lived God's way. In one of the very first times that I ever had my own apartment, I was working at a church for the summer, and uh, because they paid me so badly, they gave me an apartment for free in someone's basement for the summer. And uh, that was great. I, I thought I was living like a king. And I had this whole, you know, basement floor to myself. And my parents came down uh, from, uh, I think they were in Ottawa maybe at the time, or maybe it was Quebec City. Regardless, they were coming from some distance. They came to visit me, and they were staying in my apartment uh, that night. And so um, one of the first things I did was I said, Mom, you're cooking. Dad, you're on dishes. You live in my house. You live by my rules. And they went to it because they knew I meant business. No. (laughs) They were very gracious, and they actually did. I think my mom was like, yeah, you can't cook. We're not eating your food. (laughs) Yeah, so... So, you know, but that's, that's kind of the sense here, isn't it? We say that jokingly. We say that sometimes too seriously. Uh, But when we live in God's house, we live by God's rules. Because when we live in God's family, we got to do things God's way. We make mistakes. Yeah, we, absolutely we do, and there's grace for that. And there's, but the whole point is that when we live in, in God's presence, when we live in God's home, we do things God's way. And so Jesus comes with this message that's like, hey, stop doing your own thing because it's messing you up, and it's hurting other people too. And I always say that even if you sort of say, well, I haven't done anything wrong, but I've had a lot of terrible things done to me, yeah, that's sin at work. That's other people's sin encroaching on you and your life, stepping on your toes, causing you pain and your problems. And that's the point. That's the problem. It's inescapable in our world. 
It damages all of us. It makes no place safe. No person is free. But Jesus comes as God with a power to address everything in all of creation. To reconcile it, to renew it, to bring it home. And he says the only way that this is going to happen is if we turn away from sin and turn back to God. And that's the message of Jesus' life, and it's what leads him to be crucified. Let's look at these next verses here. Jesus is speaking at a number of points about lost things. How these are so important. It's the reason why he's come is to deal with that which is lost. He says, for the Son of Man, which is a way to talk about himself, it sounds like he's maybe saying he's just a human being, but actually that language is more complex. It means he's a divine being. Um, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's the reason he came. That's the reason he came down, was to make it right. In Luke 15, there's multiple stories about lost things. And the stories escalate from something small to something big. There's a a sheep that goes missing, and the shepherd leaves the 99 others that are okay to go find the one that is lost. There's a valuable coin that's worth, really, in our days, thousands of dollars that a widow loses, and she finds that by sweeping the floor and searching. And then there's the story, one of the most famous story of lost things is the story of, we call it the story of the prodigal son. It's a son that turns his back on his father, goes off, spends his inheritance, ends up you know, living and eating with the pigs, but his father welcomes him home and runs to him while he's still a long way off, welcoming him back home. And there's this sense of Jesus trying to teach everyone, especially the Pharisees there, the religious teachers that are so stern, so ready to wag a finger at someone who does something wrong. And Jesus is saying, no, whenever something lost is found, it's to be celebrated. Because these things matter to God. And then Jesus says this, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If you're home and you're living God's way, that's a beautiful thing. That's a good thing. That's to be celebrated. But when you are lost and you come home, that's a party. And God doesn't come to you and say, now first things first, let me tell you all the ways that I'm disappointed in you. What God does is he runs to you while you're a long way off, puts his arms around you and says, welcome home. It's a story of beauty and love story that we need to be reminded of. It's a story of a rejection of the shame that all human beings have felt from the beginning. Because we don't have to live that way anymore in the house of God. When we are welcomed home, it's not done with continued shame and guilt over our heads. We are welcomed back into an embrace, into a love, to a relationship that is life-giving. It doesn't squash us back down and keep us under a firm set of rules. You're doing the dishes tonight. Instead, it's one that gives us life, that animates the choices that we make, the decisions we have, the way that we choose to live, and brings life and flourishing for everything. 
So we see that Jesus has come for that purpose. He's come to find those who are lost. He's come to find those who are excluded and exiled, who are rejected. And he takes on that rejection. He takes on that exile. He takes on that suffering himself. And he comes to show us the way back home. Jesus, you will remember, says the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one receives the embrace of the Father running towards them unless it's through me. Jesus comes to show us the way home. He models it for us. He makes it possible. He removes the obstacles and the power of sin and gives us His own Spirit to power us on that journey. And now look here. We come to Matthew 27 as he takes on that exile. As he's hanging on the cross, what does Jesus say? About three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus takes on all of that, all of our experience, all of that shame, all of that lostness, all of that exclusion and rejection. Jesus takes on all of that. Jesus dies and experiences the ultimate exile, the exile from life. And he goes into the grave. But because Jesus is in the business of leading us back to life, we discover very quickly, after only three days, that even death isn't enough to stop him. And that because he is the one more powerful than even death, he is the one who is able to conquer the greatest exile we could ever experience. And he is the one who is able to bring us into a home that is lasting and eternal, that can never be taken from us, that can never be destroyed. He's coming to take us into the presence of God, the kingdom of God, the place where God is present. Life is lived God's way. We could call it heaven. Jesus comes to make that possible by taking on our exile for us. I think the next verse is Peter. Peter, you know Peter. He followed Jesus very closely until the very end where he rejected Jesus and betrayed him ultimately. Again, a form of exile from his friends. But Peter returned and Jesus welcomed him back over a breakfast. Good ministry happens over meals. (laughs) And Peter says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. In other words, when Jesus deals with this, it's dealt with, done. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for, for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but was raised to life in the Spirit. We can come home because of what Jesus has done. We can come home, and not only that, we can be raised to life. We can have that same spirit living within us to live in a new way, to live by God's rules, not living by some regulations and not trying to obey the Ten Commandments, but instead being filled with a spirit that produces within us a kind of life that is described by the Ten Commandments. The Spirit of God empowers us and enables us to live in that new way. It's not just us living by our own strength anymore because our own strength leads us into death. 
Instead, we are allowed to find home. We are allowed to come back to God. We're allowed to be close to him, to live in his presence, to know his joy upon joy as he celebrates with us that we've come home. And to know that flourishing. Of when God just wants to emphasize a point. So, <laughs> he never sinned, but he took on our sin for us to bring us safely home to God. Now let's look at this last verse here. I mean, there's one more after this, but Colossians 1, 19 through 22. What's the obstacle to home? What's the thing that, that hinders us from coming back? Colossians 1 describes it here about partway through. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. That means you're doing it your way instead of his way. All of us have done it. Every single one of us. None of us is perfect. You were once far away from God, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. You are not seen by God when you are in Christ. You are not seen by God as that broken thing that came back. You are seen as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter, who he rejoices over that you're home. He sees you with joy and love. And he's glad to have you in his presence. That's the kind of home that we are all longing for, ultimately. That's the kind of home that we all desire at the end of the day. That's the kind of home that is available to us because Jesus shows us the way back. Jesus makes it possible to overcome that obstacle of sin that separates us from God and it makes it possible for us to live in a new way, to live a new life, to be home. And then there's this beautiful call upon each of our lives for how we live now on that journey home with his presence still close to us now, but also a greater home to come. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 20. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, so we're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And the way that Christians now, the people, the people that follow Jesus, the way that we now live is as ambassadors. Now, an ambassador is someone who doesn't, who's not in his home country, who's not at home, right? An ambassador is sent out. We are now not quite fully experiencing the home and the presence of God fully. It's because we're ambassadors. 
and we're on a mission. We're in somebody else's home territory, so to speak. We're in the land of sin and death. But it doesn't have power over us. Because we're ambassadors and we're protected. We come as ambassadors, like Jesus came into the world, we go into the world as ambassadors to say, come back to God. To show other people who are lost, even without knowing it, to show other people who are separated from God, even without knowing it, to show people that that is the fundamental issue that we're all facing, and it's the one that can be overcome if we just come back to God in Christ Jesus. He is our home, and he's the way back. Now, the the story of the Bible, as it comes to a conclusion in Revelation, it says that ultimately God will make all things new, And that heaven will come to earth and heaven and earth will be as one. And Jesus declares that over all things. And it says, I am making my home among you. And the Bible that opened with human choice to turn away from God and exile as a result closes with God saying, I'm coming down to make us whole once again. And we will be together for eternity. The story of the Bible can be seen in terms of the language of exile and home. The story of what Jesus is doing at the cross can be seen as bringing us back to God, showing us the way to life. And when we trust him for that, when we follow him, which is the language that we say to follow Jesus, we can find life again. What's keeping you? What's keeping you from coming home? What's keeping you from coming home today? It doesn't have to be the things you've done. It doesn't have to be the things you've thought. It doesn't have to be the challenges in your life. What's keeping you from coming home? What's keeping you from knowing the joy of the Father if you are home? If you are a follower of Jesus, are you really listening to his voice? Are you really knowing his goodness? There was a story in Luke 15, of two brothers. There was the son that went away and spent the inheritance and returned, but then there was also the son that stayed the whole time. The elder brother, he was angry when the other son came back. He was angry when the other son came home. He was jealous. But the father said to him, you've always been with me. You've always had all that I have. Why have you lived here in such bitterness when you could have had this joy too? So what's keeping you from the Father? Are you a long way off or are you so close that you can't even see it? Are you home but not home? Are you a long way off? Well, wanderer, come home. You're not too far. Older brother, older sister, it's not about what you do. You're not going to impress God with the things you do or the things that you think, the appearance that you have on the outside. But you can know his love today and feel at home in his grace and receive his goodness in all things. What's keeping you from home? It doesn't have to be anything. Just follow Jesus. Come back to God.
Jesus, we thank you that you made the way to life possible. You made it possible for us to know your goodness, to be free from exile and the alienation that all of us experience within our world. You made it possible to overcome the power of sin and death and ultimately to allow us to experience something that can never be taken from us, that can never be destroyed, can never be removed. Jesus, we thank you that you also give us a call as ambassadors to go into the world to share with others the the good news, the good story of freedom, the way home pointed to us in Christ. May we find our way back to you and may we help others do the same. May we know what it means to live in your embrace and your presence forever, to experience your grace and goodness in all things, to know the joy of being with you forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.